Well, guys, grab a Bible and make your way to Proverbs 14 if you want to use a Bible. But we're also reminding you we have the little Bible reading booklets. If you have those that you picked up at the door, they are available for you so that you can go with us through that as we've provided these uh, uniquely in the book of Proverbs, just giving you a space where you can uh, make notes and uh, record those things. And we're hoping that that's helpful for you. We want to just tell you, if you're joining us online, we have those available as well. If you want a, a booklet and you don't already have it, you can go to our website, navigate to calvaryroswell.com, and then under the messages, where it says messages, go find today's message, and you'll find a place that has download there. You can click the download, and that will give you the ability to download a PDF so that you can join us. And again, the aim is that you can just feel very free to mark this up however it really lands for you. Now, I'm going to use a pattern that I've been using that's kind of a color coding pattern, kind of works better for us here on the, you know, on the screen, but you might not have colors, and so you could use other things, but I'm kind of going to use a circle and a green for things that are good, and then a line with that that is really the flow out of it. We use a box that's red and a line that flows out of it for bad things that are being contrasted with it. We use a little blue uh, little line there for a connection, and if it's really a statement about God and His character, we'll use purple. And so again, that's where I'm going with it. You don't have to use the lines in the, in the places that I use. Again, it's just a place of saying, hey, I hope it's helpful because Proverbs it's just unique because it, the, one of the way working through it, almost every proverb stands alone. Nuggets of wisdom that kind of flow through this. And so just the ability to have a, you know, cohesiveness, this is kind of the way to do it, but also to unpack it for you, I hope in a way that works. So inviting you to do that, inviting you to be able to track with us this evening, however that works best for you, whether you're using your Bible or tracking with us in the booklets. Well, let's position ourselves to hear from God. I'm going to lead us in prayer, but I'm hoping you would as well just in a space that we want God to speak to us tonight. I want to hear His voice. And so I'm inviting you to ask Him, to ask Him to speak to you, to cause your your heart to be there, and just again, that you and I would be able to have God work in our lives. So let's do that. Father, right now we do just come and ask that you would meet us, that you would help us to be those who hear your voice, and I believe in your faithfulness. You can do that tonight. I believe that you've given us this book of Proverbs to shape our lives. So shape us, Lord. I surrender to that in my life, and I pray that you'd help us too. And that by the power of your Spirit, you would speak. And Lord, if there's just things that need to be dealt with or shaved or, or worked, would you work in that in power and faithfulness? God, would you cause, just by the work of your Spirit, the things that you're wanting to say to us to be heard, God, help that, work that, trusting you and you alone for that. We seek you right now, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So Proverbs is a book of wisdom, a book that God has given us to help us be wise in life. In one sense, you need to understand the very, just very stark contrast that it's holding it out. There's a wise way to live life, and there's a foolish way. And it really is just that constant comparison in the book of Proverbs, like this is wisdom and this is folly. Now, I would hope right off the bat, you'd be like, well, I know which one of those I want. You know, I don't think anybody's like, I just thought I would be foolish. 
I think that just sounds amazing to, to be dumb and, and live my life in a terrible way. No, I, that very rarely is that ever the case, and yet sometimes it happens without knowing better. So Proverbs comes in to speak to us, to shape our lives in a way that will help us and, and draw us into being the people that he has for us to be. In fact, it's really kind of even just really clear in this section as we're diving right into the middle of chapter 14, we're picking up where we left off, and we're picking up in verse 15, but really in this section that runs from verse 15 to 19, there's a little bit of a theme that just is kind of pressing into the state of a heart, just like saying, okay, is this where you are? This is where that's flowing out of, and just helping us almost just address, okay, is that where we are in the midst of it, so God can speak to us and show us how to live. So we just begin to note it. Verse 15 says it this way, the simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. The simple, and when it uses this idea, it's the opposite of, of being wise. The idea of being simple, it's not necessarily always an insult. It just means like you don't know better, like you're living foolishly. It's a s- simple way of living. He says the problem with being simple is that you believe everything. Like you could believe anything that anybody says and you just don't know better. It kind of is that gullible place where just you, you believe everything. But, he says, in contrast, the one who's prudent, the one who is wise, thinks about their steps. Thinks, you know, that just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean it's right. Just because, you know, that's the way, you know, what somebody says is there. It's like, is that going to be good for my what life and the way that I work, and he's calling us to live a life that is really found here. And he's looking at it, and it's as if you could almost just look at two people doing life very differently. The simple who's just like, well, you know, that's, that's, that's what everybody says. That's what I'm just going to do. And just totally buying into anything and everything that's being said. But the wise being in a place of saying, hmm, you know, that's, that this world is broken, and people are broken. I don't, I don't trust people. I trust God. I trust God implicitly. I trust Him and His Word implicitly, but outside of that, not so much. And, and that place of thinking, well, I'm, I'm going to think carefully where I'm going to go, and He invites us to that kind of living, that place where we're taking seriously our life. With that, He continues there in verse 16, and He says, a wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. So we're kind of building this person who's thinking about their life and they're, they're wise, he says. They're, they're walking in wisdom. He says there's a fear. There's a fear against, not necessarily a fear of God here. It's not speaking about that, but a kind of a recognition of, of just danger in the midst of that. And that fear keeps them from, from that evil, that place that's going to be there. In contrast, this person who's living foolishly he says, well, that a fool rages in, in his self-confident. That this fool is just in this person of, of kind of going against all wisdom. Now, that's a pretty good understanding of it, and yet it's a little bit hard to wrap our minds around even exactly what this is saying. And so a number of other translations about it, but the New Living Translation does a pretty good job of just getting to the nugget of that one. So I'll just put that on the screen for us, where he says, the wise are cautious and avoid danger. Like, they're just, they're thinking, like, you know, that, that could be dangerous. You know, I, I kind of get that. But fools 
plunge ahead with reckless confidence. You know, they, they, to live this foolish life, just it, it's ignorant and, and just like you don't even know better and yet you're not even thinking about the steps that you're taking and just this absolute folly of living life in a reckless, heedless way. Again, he's giving us this contrast, the state of a heart that compares this wise person from the one who's a fool. Add to it in verse 17, he says, a quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of wicked intentions is hated. Now, this is entirely negative, and it's, and it's part of it. He says, okay, here's the person who's quick-tempered, the person who just acts very emotionally and, and responds to everything just that way. He says, that's foolish. You know, the Bible calls us to be quick to hear and, you know, you know quick to hear, you know, and, and slow to speak. And, and just in that space of saying, hey, that's a place where we're not going to let things immediately kind of move us into a bad place. But he takes it a little bit further. And he says, a man of wicked intentions is one who is hated. So if you're tracking with this for a moment, it's the idea that if you could look at somebody living their life foolishly, boy, they just... I mean, anything sets them off. Emotionally, they can just, and that kind of determines their course, and that's a bad way to live. So much worse, though, when it's not just an emotional response, like you're planning it, like you're planning to do evil, like you have a wicked intention that you're, you know, it's not like you're just responding badly in that moment. You had planned to go badly. And he says, that's going to be hated. That's going to be a destructive place. That's going to be one that anybody who could see it honestly from an eternal vantage point would say, that's a terrible you know, way to live your life. You don't want to go down that way. That's going to be just the, the destruction of it. But it's even just a sense of blessing. As he kind of continues this little section, he's kind of giving us this place of seeing him. It says it in verse 18, the simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge that this foolish person, this simple person, what they're going to get out of it is they're going to gain folly, that that's going to be the thing that they get out of it, that's going to be what comes to this, but the prudent, that is this wise person that he's helping us get a quick glimpse of, he says they're crowned with knowledge, and that there is this place where knowledge becomes that not only is it good, not only is it helpful, but it's as if almost wearing it as a crown, almost wearing it as a badge of honor, almost a place of saying, hey, this is a, this is a different life. That if you're kind of comparing these two, the, the foolish and the wise, and, and you're thinking about what he's trying to picture for us in this small little section here of, of people who are ignorant and they don't know better or they're responding emotionally, he says, that's just going to go badly. But over here, not only is it going to blast, but it's as if it, it, it honors your life and brings you into an incredible space. Well, in this little section, it really ends there in verse 19, saying it this way, the evil will bow before the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. The evil, those who are doing it wrong, who are living life in a, in a bad way, just going down that road, he says, that's actually going to be a place that they're going to bow before the good that that's going to be there, and, and it is an and, the wicked at the gates of the righteous. As we gaze on this one, again, it's one of those important ones to just say it this way, this is an eternal vantage point, and that's probably important because, honestly, you know, in this world, it's not always so. Sometimes you look at the world and think, okay, sometimes wicked people get ahead, and sometimes evil, you know, looks like it's victorious, but it's not. The, the end is really clear. 
We know where this, where this is going. We know that every knee is going to bow before Christ. And we know that, that in that sense, the end is going to go there. And so he's drawing us to this perspective. Now, in fact, that's a good place for us to pause and say something that we pretty much try to say each week. So we're contrasting a good way to live and a bad way to live. Ultimately, we have to just make sure we understand it this way, to be right with God, to not be the evil one. To, to have that is to be righteous. The idea of righteous means to be right with God or to, to be right before Him. And here's what we know biblically. That can never happen on your own. That's not something that if I gave you, a, you know, a list of things, do these and you can be right with God, none of us could do it. We've all failed. You know, we, we failed and there's no hope in our own strength of being righteous, but that's why God sent Jesus. That God sent His Son to die on the cross for us, to bring us into life, so that He tells us in the New Testament that we become the righteousness of God in Christ. That we now are that. If you're a follower of Jesus, He's rescued us from our folly, rescued us out of the really dumb way that we lived, and redeemed us. And, and we need to see that, because ultimately, that's where this whole thing ends that you could look at this right now and you say, okay, everybody who is wicked and evil, who is, you know, going down this path, this is where it's going to end for them. There's going to be a day where, again, Philippians tells us every knee is going to bow before Jesus. Doesn't mean they all get saved. It does mean that they're going to come to it and go, we were wrong. We were wrong. We, we chose poorly. We, we made a terrible decision. We, you know, it, it, you know, didn't believe, and everybody's going to recognize that. And he kind of places us here in this proverb that, you know, we're going to be on the right side of that. We're going to be on the right side of eternity. So the incredibly foolish place is to say that we don't long for anybody to be there. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're online right now, and you're outside of that. In fact, one of the dangers is, is you might consider yourself, well, I'm not really a dumb person. I'm, I wouldn't consider myself a fool, but the Bible's really clear. Outside of a righteous relationship with God in Christ, that's where your life lands. It's a foolish way to live. And we'd invite you today to make sure that you see that and see, okay, the only way to get to the right side of this is through Christ. That being said, that doesn't make it an automatic thing. When you got saved, it didn't automatically, you know, fix everything. And it didn't automatically make you wise so that you make all the right choices. No, that's that process that now God begins to work in sanctification. That now having been made right with God, which kind of biblically is the idea of being justified with Him, now we're in this process where He is just fixing the, the folly of our lives. And so part of the point of Proverbs is for us to come in and say, that's the life I want to live. So that in this whole book of Proverbs, He's doing that, but even in this small little section right here where He said, okay, here's two ways to live. There's one person who's self-confident, doesn't think they need anything, who's just responding emotionally or even choosing to make bad decisions, and that's going to end badly. And, and he calls us away from that to be someone who, as we just look back over these verses that we just looked at, you know, that we're being prudent, that we're considering our steps, that we, you know, are fearing, like, hey, I don't want to make mistakes. I, I don't want to go there, and I, I don't want to be just moved by, by that. I want to be crowned by knowledge. And he's telling us, hey, that would bring just redemption and help. And in that sense, again, just inviting you to it. And again, I find myself thinking, I wonder who would say I don't want that. I wonder if anybody's like, nope, nope, that's not, not for me. I, I really like to be dumb. You know, I really want to be taken. 
I, I hope somebody would take advantage of me and you know, rip me off or, or rob me of my day, my time, or my money. No, nobody's wanting to go there, but the danger is not heeding what God would say. And so again, he's giving it to us here in his word that helps us to see that. All right. Well, leaving that, we continue just moving verse by verse at these Proverbs. Verse 20 comes in here, and it says, The poor man is hated even by his own neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Okay, so I gave you a little color coding that I talked about at the beginning. I probably should add this into my thing because some of the Proverbs aren't really statements of good or bad. They're just statements of fact. This is one of them, where he says the poor one is hated even by his own neighbor. In contrast, he says it here, the rich, the person who has money and affluence, has many friends. Let's just pause and say, this isn't a compliment. This isn't saying it's right. It's just a statement of fact. In fact, if you're honest about it, you just understand it to be true. Poverty, it's one of those places that can destroy families and and cause people to hate and, and treat people who are in such a state that way. And it says, you know, these people who are in that place are hated even by their own neighbors. In contrast, somebody who becomes wealthy has many friends. Now, here's the problem. If that's you, then you already know it's not necessarily a good thing because many friends means many people. And one of the problems of having affluence is realizing who's my friend because they really want to be my friend. Who's my friend because they want my money or they want something from me. They want something that I can offer. It's not, again, a statement of good or bad. It's just a statement of fact. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. And it's, again, not saying that's good or bad necessarily. It's just a statement of fact. But it really prepares us for the next proverb. Because honestly, these two verses go together because this is the reality. Poverty separates people from their neighbors. Rich kind of just invites people to be friends. And so he says it this way now to us. He who despises his neighbor sends. But he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. So he says, okay, if, if, that person, if you're going to be that person who despises your neighbor, which is what he just talked about, right? If you look back up at verse 20, the poor man is hated by his neighbor. I mean, that's just a natural kind of response in our world. But God says, if that's who we are, if we find into it, he says, that's sin. That's not good. I mean, just, just because that's a fact of life doesn't make it, well, that's just the way it is. He says, no, to, to, to be in that place, it actually becomes sin for us. But he who has mercy on the poor, the one who would say, hey, I, I, I see it differently, that's the one who's going to walk in happiness. Jesus told us very clearly, the poor, we would have with us always. And, and that that's always going to be a, an issue that we face in this world. We're never going to fix it. It's never going to be like, hey, we fought, you know, kind of Star Trek come along and we fixed all poverty or something like that. It's never going to happen. And so it's always going to be something we deal with. And in a very simple proverb kind of way, it's just inviting you, okay, which side are you on? Are you on the very natural, hey, it's the world, you know, people are poor and man, just nobody wants to be friends with the poor because they just, you know, this is not the way it goes. Or would you look and say, that's, yeah, that's the way the world works, but not so my heart. That, that would be sin for me not to love people and not care about them. And I, I want to be the one that has mercy and I want to walk in that. And so he calls us to have a very different heart in the way that we treat this. And it should flow out of our lives. May God make it so. Well, more on that in a couple more Proverbs, but keep going. Verse 22. 
Do they not go astray who devise evil? But mercy and truth belong to those who devise good. That's kind of interesting. This is one of those kind of questions, but it's really rhetorical. He's just asking us. So do they not go astray? The person who's going to go this way, and that's really the outflow of it, who do what? Who devise evil. So the person who, who thinks about it and plans to do wrong, who's thinking about taking advantage of somebody or doing the wrong thing, he says, not only is that not going to work, it's, it's one of the places that becomes a course that's going to take you off and, and bring in great pain and sorrow and suffering. And he just says, hey, if that's what you're doing, know this. That's where that road goes. In contrast, mercy and truth are the result of the person who belongs to those who devise good. So if you're thinking about it, like, I want to do the right thing. I want to do the right thing. I want to live the right way. I want to try to walk in that. He says, here's what you're going to get. And it's interesting that it begins with mercy. It's interesting that he says, okay, if you're trying to do the right thing, it's not like, well, then you're not going to need this. It's like probably for most of it, it's like, man, I bet I mess up. You know, I'm trying to, trying to do the right thing. He says, but if that's what you're trying, if in your heart you're thinking about trying to walk the right way or do the right, he says, it, it, God meets you in mercy and he meets you in truth in rescuing us and drawing us back on course, merciful, fixing where we blew it, and then says, okay, like, go this direction. Like, that was a bad thing that you did. Let's go this direction, though, now. And God meets us in that, but it goes back into that place of saying, you know, really, what's our intention? Like, what were you wanting to do? And it should be in a place where he's inviting us to say, hey, we want to do the right thing that that should be the place that we're honestly thinking about. And again, if you're tracking with us in this section already, if that's not something you think about, if you're the person who's like, man, I just, I kind of do whatever. I just kind of live my life. He says, that's a dumb way to live. It's a dumb way to live. The wise person is thinking about their life, thinking, I really don't want to do the wrong thing. I really would like to do the right thing. And he's telling us that becomes something that is not only good, but a place where God would meet us in mercy and truth. And may you even be met by that tonight. Maybe it's a place even already he's kind of correcting and kind of showing it's like, man, I already blew it. I mean, I already blew this today or I wasn't the kind of person I should be. Well, then he's inviting you. Well, come and find mercy. Find mercy, just recognize where that is and be directed back into the truth. And if that's what you're wanting, if you're thinking, God, I want that, then God's telling you that's where he would meet you. And I hope you find that to be true and just working in you the things that he has. All right, well, you can flip the page, keeping going there in verse 23. In all labor, there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. In all labor, when it, if, if, if there's a, you know, you're trying, you're working, you're doing that, he says there is profit, that all work has reward to it. Now, that's a simple statement, but it's honestly true. In one sense, it, you know, it's not always equally rewarded, but when we do that, God does. In fact, if we as followers do that, God says he rewards that, that, he, that, that if we're not rewarded here, we would be rewarded in heaven that there's a place where he'd talk about even servants in the, in the New Testament or employees saying, even if your boss is unfair, but you work hard, God will reward that. God, will, God, God rewards that. He, he notes that. All work in that sense becomes something where there is profit. In contrast, idle chatter, uh, a place of just talking. 
he says it leads only to poverty. So in one sense, he's contrasting laziness and faithfulness, which is a pretty consistent uh, theme within the book of Proverbs, just to highlight the folly of being lazy and, and calling us to, that's not the way God would have us to live our lives. But this one's a little bit more than that because it has this idea of someone who is actually working to someone who just talks about it. And let's just own it for a second. Those are not always the same thing. Those are not always the same thing. There's some who talk a good talk, and they don't walk a good walk. They, they, they have this place of doing that. In fact, again, I like the way the New Living Translation brings this one out. It says, work brings profit, but mere talk leads only to prosperity, uh, to, to poverty, excuse me. Mere talk, just being someone who just talks. And, and the sad reality is that's a part of our world. Again, I, don't, I hope it's not you. I hope that that doesn't sound like you this evening, but you might know somebody that way. Uh, I think about it in John Bunyan's uh, Pilgrim's Progress. He had this character called Talkative. And he just talks, just talks. Doesn't actually ever do it. Doesn't actually ever be that. In fact, some commentators made a note of that sometimes the biggest talkers are the worst walkers. That the people who can talk a good talk, it's like, do something. Like, don't you just talk about it? Don't just, well, yeah, I'm going to do all these things and I'm going to, you know, do, accomplish all this stuff. It's like, great, like, do something. Like, don't just talk. Let it be proved in what you do. And it's certainly what God would call us in our lives to say, you know, I don't want to be just someone who can, can dream or talk about what I'd like to do with my life or things that I'd like to see accomplished, but, you know, he says, do that. You know, even if, you know, all work is rewarded, even if it's not rewarded as much as you would want it to be rewarded, hey, faithfulness works. And if you would do this in all labor, there's there, and he's calling us to a place of being somebody who is in that kind of pursuit and is walking in that. May God draw us to be that. Verse 24. It says, The crown of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of fools is folly. So the positive statement here is this idea of the crown of the wise. That the thing, if you could look at, hey, here's somebody who's wise, and again, almost picturing them as crowned, a king that's crowned or a, an athlete that is rewarded in that. He says, when you look at this, what, what marks the person who is that? Well, the crown of the wise is their riches, is kind of what that works. Probably, in many ways, pulling off of the last proverb, and all labor, you know, there's reward. And, and whatever you do, there's something that flows out of that. But on the other hand, but the foolishness of, of fools. And again, that's kind of the statement of the thing, kind of comparing the crown of the wise to the foolishness of fools. He says it's just folly. Then you look at this person who is living that way, they don't have anything for it. You know, that living a, a foolish life, there is no reward. There is no crown. There are no riches. There are nothing flowing out of it because, again, probably connecting a little bit to this last proverb, they talked a good talk. This wasn't anything there. And it was a foolish way to live life, a foolish way to say, hey, that's not the life that you want to have there, to, to be there. And again, just inviting us away from a life that would go that direction. Verse 25, a true witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. So the compliment is this one who is a true witness or someone who speaks the truth and works in that. He says that that's rescuing. That's delivering. 
But in contrast to this, a deceitful witness, a liar in that sense, speaks lies. So in one hand, this proverb points out a reality that it's already talked about even earlier in this chapter, just the value of being truthful, of being someone who speaks truth, doing what Jesus said. Hey, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything outside of that, it's of the wicked one. That he invites us to be a truthful people because truth, it actually rescues. It, it, it rescues you from so many traps and rescues you from things, rescues others from things. But once you start down a course of lying, it becomes a place of bondage. It becomes a place uh, of, of, of just speaking lies and confusion. And unlike that deliverance, it becomes a place that brings in traps and, and pain and sorrow and suffering. Simply stated, that's true. That's true. That said, we could also just take this a little bit further and from a Christian standpoint say that this is not just a natural principle. There's a spiritual principle in here because when we think about being a witness, we're called to be witnesses. That Jesus' call for our lives is that we're to be witnesses, that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel, that not a single one of us is not meant to be that. In fact, he promised us the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1, he said, whoever, you know, if we'd have the, 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 the power of the Spirit come upon us, and we would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the end of the world. And so he's calling us in that sense to be a true witness, to be someone who says, I, I speak the truth. You know, I, I speak the truth, and here's the reality. That would save souls. That would save souls. Being somebody who would say, hey, I, 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 I tell people where I am, and I, and I speak that truth, and, and I speak truth. He says, that's, that's a rescuing thing. But being deceitful, being somebody who lies, not only doesn't rescue, it, it just brings in deception into everything. Because this is such a powerful reality that would bring in this even in the way that we represent God. And so can I press this just for a moment? See, one of the realities is that, you know, we need to understand, hey, God is working to save people. You, he's never asked you or I to be the one that carries the weight of that. That's his. He's drawing people to us, but he's called us to be faithful witnesses. But we live in a world that is doing everything it can to keep you from that. And one of the big movements in our world is in a place of just drawing people to be to frame their, 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 their thoughts, to frame their opinions as opinions, to, to frame them as like in, in the way that it works and not just speak, well, this is truth. Here's how it works. And again, if this lands for anybody, just let it land where it does. But years ago when I was working at the bank, I remember just doing this. And we, and we got into conversations about morality. We got into some conversations about what's right or wrong. And I found myself answering the question this way. Well, you know, this is what I believe. I believe that, you know, this is right or this is wrong, and this is my personal opinion, and it was an interesting thing, and, and just, I, I can remember it to this day, I'd finished one of those conversations, and it wasn't an audible voice, but it was definitely discipline, and the Lord's like, you believe? Like, you, is it right or wrong? And I, I had to go back and say, you know, it doesn't really matter what I believe. This is what the, this is what the Word of God says. This is what truth is. You know, it's not a matter of just framing this into a, you know, conversation in a way that it's like, this is truth, and this is what it is, and this is, and it changed the way I, I just saw it. I just love that there is this place that he's inviting you and I to just, 
you know, I don't have to figure out where this lands. I don't have to try to frame my conversations in a way of, well, if I say this, this is what might happen, and they'll go this. It's like, this is, what, this, is, this is what I believe. I mean, this is the truth is. This is what the Word of God says, and, and it doesn't matter whether I believe it or you believe it. It doesn't matter whether it's like, this is truth. And there's a powerful way of being in this world that, and he's calling you and I to that, to being a true witness. And I just want to tell you, God rescues souls. God rescues souls from that, and we long for that. May he do it more. May he cause us to be people in this generation that stand up and just say, this is truth. There is truth. There is absolute solid truth. And where God's word is clear, it can't be shaken. And just to hold that is a powerful, powerful reality. All right. Well, with that, go with me into verse 26. He says, In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. So this is one of the Proverbs that takes us into the character of God. And so we'll circle it in purple there. In this place of fearing God, of recognizing there is a God. There's a God in heaven, and He's God, and I live my life not in dreadful fear, but in holy recognition. He's God. He says, when you believe that, it gives you a boldness. It gives you a strong confidence that when you know that, that, that there is a God, when you believe that there is a God, there's boldness. Now, I like this in connection to what we just talked about, that we're being called to be people who are true witnesses and, and stand for the truth. And one of the things that gives us boldness is there's a God and I'm more afraid of you know, offending him than I am of offending you. And I, I, I believe in who he is. And when you really know that there's a God, it's, it gives you a boldness to stand in a world that can be so very, very confused. And he says there's strong confidence there. And then he adds this, which is an interesting connection, because most of the Proverbs are kind of a comparison or saying that same thing in another way. This one goes in an entirely different direction. Because he just says, and. So like if you fear God, not only does it give you strong confidence, but his children, which is just an interesting statement that in one sense to, to highlight those who fear the Lord, they're his children. That it would in that sense give us that place. He says to those who are there, then he is a place of refuge. They will have that place of refuge where God would say that he is a, a, a near and present help in our time of need, that he is a God of great refuge. And what an incredible place this is in this. So again, there's this kind of cool thing. It says if you fear God, you are his child. And not only does it on one hand give you boldness, on the other hand, it gives you rescue. It gives you this place where he is your hope and he is your place to run to and he is your safe space and he is that place of, of being that in your life, which is exactly what he wants to be. Add to that, verse 27 is really a continuance. Next page, he says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. So this one who fears God, who recognizes God, who's becoming a child of God in that, he says that fear of God it's a fountain. It is a fountain of life. Boy, there's so much I could say here, but let me just say it quickly. That's true. And you need to believe it because it's the exact lie that Satan is going the other direction on. The, the lie that Satan throws out, the lie that our world says, is if you fear God, it's going to rob you. It's going to steal from you. It's going to take away from you. It's going to limit your freedom. It's going to limit your joy. And he says, it's not that way at all. 
Jesus says, I came to give you life and life abundantly. The thief comes in to rob, kill, and destroy. That's what he's doing, but I want to give you life. And he says, here's this place when you fear God, it becomes this life-giving water that flows into your life, this fountain of life that is this place of, of, of joy and strength and life, that to step towards this, instead of, instead of it robbing you, it brings you into blessing. Not only that, it rescues you. It would be the place where it would turn you away from the lies, the snares of death that would be there. That this place of fearing God, not only is it just right and good, it's incredibly rescuing. May it be so for you. I, I hope tonight, if you're joining us online or again here, that God would look at you and say, this is someone who fears me. This is someone who lives their life in light of that I'm caught. I'm the creator of the heavens and the earth and, and, and just that you would be that one that God would place that over. And I invite you towards that, to a place of being that one who fears him and just the incredible life-giving source that it is, uh, the, the rescuing that it would be in your life and in mine. It is so. Prove it and find it true. I hope you do. Well, going to the next one, verse 28, switching gears. In a multitude of people is a king's honor, but the lack of people is the downfall of a prince. So there's a positive statement here, this in, in having a lot of followers and having a lot of people, he says that, that really is honor for a king. That really is a place of it. But in contrast to it, the lack of people, the lack of having that, it's the downfall of a prince. So, kind of an interesting proverb. Uh, you know, what's it telling us? Well, in one sense, it could just be a statement of fact, and it is kind of a statement of fact, that, you know, leadership is often determined not just by what you have, but who's following. And so, for a king who's there, that would really be a part of that, and, and having a lack thereof so often becomes his downfall. But in another sense, this is just one of those principles that could just be a statement of fact, because we know this, that God goes against this so often. That Paul would talk about, you know, it's not by our many, it's in our weakness. And it's, it's not by the many, it's so often by the few. That it's not the broad way, that it's a narrow way. And so there is, a, a, you know, a lot, some interesting debate about this proverb that, you know, is this just one of those statements that's a worldly statement? It's saying, hey, that's true, where they find it. But in Christ, we find the path entirely different. That so often he diminishes and you know can can shrink our numbers down even as he you know does to Gideon when he takes you know his his armies instead of you know growing his numbers he shrinks them and so sometimes it can be that way and so without spending a bunch of time on that it's just an interesting kind of like huh I wonder where this is going that said if there's any you know practical wisdom in that is that sense of just saying hey wherein we we do that uh, we just want to make sure that that's what we're pursuing i found myself thinking about this because of a conversation i was having with another pastor and i heard this kind of crazy quote that just landed for me and so for whatever reason it just seems to jive with this one and just share it with you if it lands he just simply said hey be careful when you're leading not to get too far in front of your people or they'll mistake you for the enemy you know, it's just be careful when you, you, you know, it's like, hey, you know, make sure that you're like watching over, if you're, if you're a shepherd of the flock, don't leave the flock. You know, don't, don't walk away from where they are. And I just thought, hey, there's, there's wisdom in that. There's, there's wisdom in, in the way leadership works. And if there's anything that kind of ties into this, then there it is. But if not, just an interesting proverb that we could spend more time on, but I'll leave it there with you. All right. Well, he returns again to this idea of being emotional and these emotional responses, and so he gets it there in verse 29. 
says, he who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. Now, one of the things that we've pointed out uh, in the midst of, of, of our study of Proverbs is that I'm using the New King James Version. Some of you use that as well. One of the things I like about the New King James Version is its attempt to kind of get you at least a little closer to the uh, original languages. I point this out sometimes in Proverbs. I'm not going to point it out every week because it just gets old saying the same thing. But I want to point it out again here right now. So when the Bible was written in the Old Testament, it was written in Hebrew, the New Testament written in Greek, translated into English so that you and I can read it. Very, very helpful. But the part of the problem is sentence structures are so very different. So Sometimes when the English translators were translating it into English, they would add a word uh, because it really, you know, made grammatic sense. It kind of filled out the, the sentence. When they did so, the New King James Version helps us to know that by putting the word in italics so that you know this, it's an added word. It's not actually in the original text. Now, that's been throughout the book of Proverbs, and I usually try to highlight it in different ways so that even when I do my underlines, I don't try to underline the italic words, or at least most of the time, just so that we can highlight the things that are actually there. This is one of them that has a whole bunch of added words. And so you might just notice it. He who is, those are in italics there. That's not actually in the text. If you're originally looking at it, it just would be slow to wrath, great understanding. Slow to wrath, great understanding, would, would be how it would kind of be rendered in the Hebrew. But impulsive exalts folly. It's not very good grammatically, but it kind of lands that way. You know, slow to wrath, great understanding. Impulsive exalts folly. It's just what he's telling us. Is there's two ways to live here. That he's saying, okay, if we would be those who would say, I'm not going to be immediately, you know, moving into that place of getting angry. I'm going to, I'm going to think things through. I'm going to listen. I'm going to process. You know, again, being quick to hear, you know, slow to speak, slow to wrath, as it tells us in James. He says, that's a good thing. That's a good understanding. But when you are impulsive, then folly is going to be the thing that flows out of that. And he just calls us to say, don't let that be the stamp of your life. Don't be the one that immediately moves that way. Be someone who is slow to get angry, that you allow that to, the truth just to kind of process in the midst of that. You can turn the page. Uh, verse 30, he gives it to us this way. A sound heart. A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. So the good thing is a sound heart. What's a sound heart? Well, he's not just talking, obviously, about your physical uh, heart in your, in your chest. He's talking about our soul, and yet we could still try to think, okay, what does that look like? But it's better just to continue the proverb because you can see the contrast. He's saying if you have that, a sound heart, it'll be life to your body, but the other side of it is envy. The other side of it is being jealous and being driven by any. He says that's going to be rottenness to the bones. And so the, the call is to look at it this way. It says if you have a place here that's a sound heart, this place where the inner person, that's the idea of the heart, the heart given to us in the Hebrew understanding, it's not talking about your emotions, and again, not your physical organ that's beating in your chest. It's the, inner, the person you really are, that person you are underside. If it's sound, if there's a wholeness there, if there's life there, he says that, that, that just flows into your, your whole being. But if in contrast to it, you live jealous and driven by, you know, kind of keeping up with the Joneses and, and, and always upset about what other people have and wanting what other people have, 
He says, that's, that's rottenness. That just, that just speaks, that just pours into the souls of your life that which would be rottenness to the bones and very simply true. Think about it in James when he talks about wisdom. He says, if your wisdom you know, flows out of envy and jealousy, it's not God's wisdom. He's never going to lead your life that way. He's never going to move you to want something because somebody else, I want to be more like them, and they have what I don't have, and uh, you know, keeping up with it, that'll never be his. If there's a wholeness, it's like, I'm not driven by that. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to let that be the thing that compels me. It, not only would it be right, but it's life-giving. I hope you know something about that. hope it's drawing you even there. Verse 31 comes back to the idea of poverty. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. So he gives us here, and he says, okay, the one who oppresses the poor, who deals badly with the poor, which kind of can be a natural thing, but he says, if that's what you're doing, you're honestly reproaching God. You know, to do so, not only is it wrong to them, not only is it not what God would have for us, God would say, if that's you, then ultimately you're dishonoring the Creator. You're dishonoring God who made people and, and, and made all people. And he says that's, we, we, we are meant to live our lives in a way that we go at it differently. He, but, he says, he who honors him, he who honors God has mercy on the, the needy. Without spending a bunch of time on it, this is one of those interesting proverbs that the contrast actually flipped. Um, so, you know, he who oppresses the poor is kind of held out as the statement, like this is who you are and this is what would happen if you're there. It reproaches the na- the, your maker, but it flips it uh, so that what was just held as the outcome now is held as the positive statement. But if you honor God, if you honor God, what that would do in your life is it would make you care, it would make you have mercy on the needy, that, that your honoring of Him would shape the way you view people and, and the love that we show and the way that we work in it. And so may God help us to walk in that simply because we want to honor God, to, to love God in a way that shines out in the way that we deal with people. Much that we could talk about in that, but much application. Verse 32, the wicked is banished in his wickedness, but the righteous has a and I made a mistake. It's on the next page. So I'm just going to put it there on, on the bottom of the thing. The righteous has a refuge in death. By the way, just quick FYI, I make lots of mistakes. It doesn't totally bother me. Uh, I just know that I do every now and then. As some of you look up at the screen, it's like he mispronounced that's, that word. It's wrong. And, you know, even in making these booklets, it's like the, I made several mistakes in this one. And I just want to tell you, for me, it's just a good reminder. God uses the weak and the foolish things of the world. That's what I am. And so without any kind of like, yep, that, I, I messed up. And, you know, thankfully he can use people that make mistakes. I made a mistake. And so I, I didn't mean to make the, the, the return go on to the next page. And, and there's another one and a couple verses later, but it's enough to see it here. Well, coming back to it, thankful that God can do that, he gives us this picture and he says, okay, here's the wicked, the person who's doing the wrong thing, living the, bad, the life that shouldn't be lived. He is banished in his wickedness. He says, right now, there's, a, there's an isolation. There's a, a banishment that separates him from people, but the righteous the person who's going to do the right thing and live in God's ways, God's ways has a refuge in, in his death. It's a pretty interesting proverb in its comparison. So the person who's doing wrong, we're not just talking about their future, though it is their future. He says right now, they're banished. 
Right now, they, they have a lack of connection with people because they can't. Uh, to do the wrong thing not only makes us wrong with God, it makes us wrong with people. And it just is, is the way that it works out of that. And ultimately, it would be there. The ultimate you know, reality of what hell is, is being alone, apart from God and apart from people and, and, the, and the emptiness that all that is. But it's an interesting thing that he makes it as a statement of fact right now. That to do wrong, it's, it's poisoning, it's, it's causing you to be isolated and banished even now. But the righteous, well, now he takes us to the future. We have a refuge in our death. We know this, that, you know what, I have God now, and I have people now, but I have heaven. I mean, I have this, inc- I mean, I, 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 hell is going to be banishment, hell is going to be emptiness, and I, if I'm going to do the right thing, I'm not just looking to my reward here, I'm living my life in light of eternity. I'm, I'm living my life in a way that would say, hey, I, I recognize that's what's coming. And God is calling us, you know, to be in that place of seeing it and seeing both the present reality and the eternal reality and that God would draw us to that. All right, flip the page and we'll get the last few verses for tonight. There in verse 33, wisdom rests in the heart of him who has understanding. But what is in the heart of fools is made known. So wisdom, this place of wisdom, it really is the outflow. So he kind of begins with, this is what's going to happen. Wisdom will reside, wisdom will rest in who? In the one, in the heart of him who has understanding. If you would be this person who's saying, I, I want to understand. I want to understand God. I want to understand truth. I want to understand the book of Proverbs. I want to know his ways. He says, then, then wisdom resides. Wisdom becomes the abiding thing that would be there. But in contrast, what is in the heart of fools? That person who's living a foolish life, it'll be made known. It's going to be clear that the person who ignores God and and that heart that's there, it's, it's going to be both now but eternally made that way. And he just again is calling us so we can see it. And I hope again it's not that complicated. I hope you're like, well, yeah, this is making sense. I mean, if there's two choices, there's a wise way to live and there's a foolish way to live, I should be going, that's what I want. I, w- I want my heart to embrace truth. I want my heart to say, I, I want that. I want to have the wisdom there because folly will be made known. With that, he even causes us to see it from a national standpoint. Verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Powerful verse, one that's probably well known and recognized, but just think it through. Righteousness, doing the right thing, doing the right thing in God's eyes, says that exalts a nation. That blesses a nation. In contrast to that, sin, doing the wrong thing, Ignoring God, it's a reproach. It marks the, just that for destruction and embarrassment and shame. Simply true. And probably in this room, maybe even on those online, you believe this. But maybe you don't. So just make sure you're thinking it through with me. What makes a nation great? What makes a nation strong? If you ask our world, it would say, well, a good economy, um, a great military, you know, strong leaders, um, good infrastructure, um, good medical systems, um, a lot of things that could be, you know, not bad things always, but they are not what makes a nation strong. He says if you, what we need is righteousness. 
It's what, when, when that's there, that's what makes a nation just strong. That's what would do that, and that's what we desperately need. And, and again, maybe you know that. Maybe you look at our nation right now and you, you're aware of that, but maybe not. I mean, sometimes Christians get caught up in it, and they get caught up in politics, or they get caught up in, uh, you know, some of the, the things in our world saying, hey, we need this. No, what we need is righteousness. And, and how do you get that? Christ, knowing him, he's the only way to righteousness. Uh, he's the only way there, and God's truth. I mean, that's what our land needs. When I look at America right now, what we desperately need is an awakening and a revival. Nothing else is going to do it. There's nothing else that's going to fix this nation. No political leader, no person in the next presidential election, no Congress, no infrastructure, no businesses. That's not going to fix what's wrong in our world right now. There's only one thing, and it's righteousness. And when righteousness is there, when righteousness is a part of a nation, God says that's what brings blessing. Sin, though, it always brings destruction. It always brings destruction. And again, it's something probably for many of you, you believe, and yet we need it, not only in our nation, but in our lives. And so he lands it this way in verse 35 and says, the king's favor is toward a wide servant, but his wrath against him who causes, and I missed it. So you can, if you have it, because shame is the last word, and it's not anywhere in the booklet. It just got cut off in that whole place. Thank God for using foolish people. But here the king's favor is towards a wise servant, but his wrath against him who causes shame. The king's favor, that the king would look upon it, is what's held out as a good thing, and it's held to that servant who is wise. In contrast, his wrath, his anger, his, his work in the midst of that would be against him who causes shame. Now, guys, there's truth in that. There's truth in our world that it so often goes that way, but let's just own it. It's not always true in our world but it is true eternally. Our king, our king is God. And our king is the one who would say that he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And there's a sense where he says, okay, that's where his favor would rest towards the person who would walk in that wisdom. But his wrath and his wrath is against the wicked. His wrath is against a world that's living in rebellion. His wrath will be poured out on this broken and, and, and rebellious world. And there's a sense of just making sure that we get this, that we come into this, that we're thinking through, okay, yeah, we just saw that, yeah, righteousness would exalt a nation and a life. But ultimately, it's about God's pleasure, God's favor upon us, that if we could think about these two courses— and we could talk about the way of wisdom and the way of folly. We've talked about a lot of things that make wisdom worth having. It, it keeps us from, you know, just buying into so many lies. It, it makes our lives effective. There's a fountain of life to it. There's, there, there's, there's blessing in the midst of it. It's a good way to live. And we've saw what folly does. Folly would rob our lives and empty us out and, and would fully be known. And in horrible places that we could go there, but far beyond that is how God sees it. He says, if you're going to do the right thing and, and you're going to try to be wise, then God's favor is upon that. And I mean, the favor of the king is upon that. And it makes, if nothing else caught you, if nothing else said, well, that's the way I want to live, then this should. It's like, I want that. 
I want God's favor. I, I want the favor of the king. I want him to look upon me and see in this world one who's trying to do the right thing, who's trying to treat the poor rightly, who's trying to walk in his ways. And even if it doesn't, you know, make us successful in this world, that God's favor would be upon us, his smile. If not, it's his wrath. It's his wrath that would come against you. And if that's you this evening, the donated, and I have a relationship with him, I'm telling you that's where you are, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the sinfulness of man. And outside of Christ, you are subject to his wrath. And God would invite you to be rescued and invite you into a relationship with him. And I long that that would be true. That even tonight, if that's you and you're in that space, we'd love to talk to you about Jesus and just see that happen in your life. But if you're his, and I just want to end with just a place of longing for his favor. You know, I like the way that the, the Puritans used to describe it as the smile of God. That God's favor, it's as if, you know, he looks down and his smile is upon us. Uh, his favor is upon our lives. That's a life worth living. It's a life that would say, you know, I, 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 I want that. I want, I want that which exalts, that which brings it, and I want his smile. You know, no matter where this goes, no matter what happens in this world or how things kind of play out, I know this, I know there's an end, but I want his favor. And maybe that's what you have right now. Maybe you are here tonight and you say, well, I live there. I try. I try to live in that place of, of, of wanting to live under the place of, of God's smile, of his pleasure, of pleasing him. And maybe you have a sense of that, or maybe you don't. Maybe there's a place where it's like, man, I don't feel like anything. I, I don't have that in my life. But you can. This is a promise, and it's a promise all the way through the word that God would meet us, that his favor would be upon us, that if we would say, God, I, I want to do the right thing. I, I want to live the right way. I, I want to go those ways, and I, and I want to do the things that you have. And God's favor, his smile would be upon that. And I want to tell you that is so much more rich than anything else I could lay before you. And I long that God would invite you to that place of his favor and of his smile upon those who are living wisely. So we'll end there longing that that would be where God meets us, that he invites us into that place of both his favor and his rest upon this, and just longing that God would meet us in that. So let's take a moment, let's pray for it, and uh, then we'll close in worship. God, thank you for wisdom. Uh, wisdom that is true in the midst of a world that is broken. Wisdom that honestly so often goes against the flow of our world. I recognize it. I recognize the, the lies, the deceptions, the emptiness, the loneliness that comes from sin. I grieve over those who are living foolish lives, who ignore the God of the universe, who trust in their own hearts and even seek to do evil, to gain their own rewards, living their lives in envy and folly. And I think of the end of that. And I just, I grieve over that. And I ask for rescue even now for those that are there, those that are not yours. God, would you rescue them? Thank you that you are the fix to the brokenness in this world. I pray for these individually. And then I do pray for our nation. Lord, our nation is broken in ways that are hard to even imagine. Hard to watch where, where our nation is right now, but I know what it needs. It needs righteousness. It needs to be right with God. 
needs to be right with you. The gospel. People need to get saved. Uh, Lord, I pray for just a pouring out of your spirit on a revival that would awaken the lost, that would revive your people, that would call us back to living right, holy lives. That would, that would change our nation. That would be the only thing that would really exalt our nation. But God, if that doesn't happen, then I, I want to live a revived life. I want to live with one who is seeking to live under your smile and your favor. I long for that for my land. I long for that for your, this people, but I, I, I want to live there myself. God, would you just cause that to be the reality that we step towards tonight? Where these things are already happening, great. Where we're living a life that's outside of what your word says, fix it. Help us to find that mercy and that truth that would get us back on course. And and Lord, to walk in what you are and what you have. And God, I'm just asking. I'm asking for your favor. I'm asking for your smile. Just a conscious sense of the smile of God of your pleasure at us seeking to live the life that you have for us to live. That's an incredible reward. That's an incredible place. And I'm just asking for that in my life and in our lives. Cause us to live in the smile of God. Cause us to know that in powerful ways. I ask for it right now and trust you in this and do so together in Jesus' name. Amen.